0: the continuum here is maybe around how do you use technology to leverage the power of of clinicians so that you can help more people more effectively this is seed camp deep
1: dives a seed camp podcast Welcome, everybody. Very excited to be leading on the SeedCamp podcast today and to have an amazing guest, uh, Maria Bogu, who has an illustrious career across many major tech brands that you'll have heard of, such as Microsoft, and Monzo and for the last three years she's been leading product at Spill. Maria is also a qualified counsellor and is training to be a therapist. Now why is that relevant? Well it's because Spill works with employers to provide easy access to high quality mental health support and what does that do? It creates a better culture around mental health within organisations, it you know helps people with mental health training and regular feeling check-ins. I think you know especially after the last year and a half I think we've all the conversation around mental health health has become all the more uh, you know, at the forefront, which is incredibly important. It's about time that that is happening. And across the health tech space at SeedCamp, we've been exploring all different areas. and, And this is a space that we're particularly passionate about and interested in as well. And we are very excited to have Maria here with us today to really dig into the intersection of you know, mental health and tech and, and how the two combine. So, hi, Maria. Welcome. Hello. Very Thank excited you. to have you with us. Maria, I'd love to just kick off with, you know, asking you to give us a bit more info about Spill and what drew you to join the team three years ago.
0: Mm. Well, so as you were saying, Spill, we, we created Spill to help as many people as possible get very, very easy, quick access to high quality mental health support, click button, talk to therapists, as I talk about it a lot of the time, just make it as easy as possible. And then um, going a step further beyond that, after removing the physical barriers to speaking to a therapist, by making it very, very easy to book a session, um, working towards removing some of the psychological barriers to speaking to a therapist. You know, this, the stuff that's around how we think about therapy, what we think therapy is for, how it can help us, how we think about uh, mental health more generally, uh, how we think about emotional intelligence, being proactive about managing how we're feeling. Um, so that's where Spill goes a step further. And and it's trying to, um, I guess, uh, help people do the the, the Healthy, correct, right behavior by design. Um, One of the things I found over the last few years working in this space is that in the wellness industry, there's a lot of um, finger wagging, you know, kind of eat your vegetables, you must do this, you must do that. Um, And, you know, I don't think that's the reason why people don't do these things. You know, it's not because we don't know that we have to get enough sleep and drink enough water and exercise regularly, et cetera, that we don't do these things. I think it's because there are many forces pulling on us day in, day out. And, and it's, you know, a lot of times structurally difficult to do the correct thing. And so that's, That's where Spill takes a slightly different approach. We try to think, okay, well, how can we actually help people do the right thing? And that's what we're doing in businesses. That's why I'm in about the second step of, after you've removed the physical barriers of making it very easy for people to access uh, high quality mental health support, you then start working on these psychological barriers, which are to do with um, the culture around mental health, about how people think about therapy, how they can employ therapy, um manager training for example, um checking in with people regularly and helping them check in with themselves. And doing all of this by building tools that that help us do these behaviors by design is a way to kind of help people do the the good behavior rather than telling them that they should do.
1: That's I think that's such a good point, right? And people as you say, we know we should do the right thing, but we don't. And how you build products that, you know, and, and design and structurally make it easier for people to take the right action without forcing them to do something, you know, that mm-hmm. they fundamentally don't want to do is, is a really tricky line to balance. So I guess, how do you, do you define the product vision at, at Spill? And, and how do you think about the balance of, you know, that's the, the eat your vegetables? Eat your
0: vegetables. Vegetable. Don't make you,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, don't uh, don't nag people, and in fact, that's one of the principles, uh, one of the core product principles we've got at Spill. Uh, the phrase is "don't nag, help," and we say this. I think at least once a week there will be a meeting about something, and someone will say "don't nag, help," and it's because uh, that's the that's the vision. The vision is that you build a product that helps you. Um, do the right behavior without nagging it, it it's by design uh, made so that it helps you get there uh, mm-hmm. without just constantly sending you push notification to say do this do this do this so that's that's what where we'd like to get to is uh, having um, a variety of tools that are easy into doing the right behavior mm-hmm. you know in the same way that And kind of to think of examples of of things that have have done this. I think Monza is a good example, actually, Um, some product I'm familiar with. But, uh, you know, one of the good behaviors in uh, having good financial habits is to keep track of your spending. And you could be telling people you must keep track of your spending and nagging them to do it. Um, But what Monza did instead is they just designed a good solution that helped people do that, you know, by design and um and that and encourage people to have healthier financial habits and and i guess it's still we kind of you know we hope to achieve the same kind of thing which is help people do the correct behavior by design
1: it's really interesting that you bring up monzo obviously you know beautifully designed um product and you know been very successful and and people love it because a lot of these design cues and and the way the product's been built. I'd love to know some of your thoughts around you know or, or differences perhaps in having worked as a PM at Monzo and and in the fintech sector and now building healthcare. Like, can you talk to some of the differences in in how you build in the in the one versus the other, as well as potentially some of the similarities?
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, actually. The similarities are the ones that come to mind first, surprisingly enough, perhaps. But, um, but why am I thinking that? I guess both industries have uh, a strong component of duty of care. It's maybe not the first thing you think about when you think of a bank, but banks have a duty of care. It's enshrined in law, it's regulated by the FCA. And they have to be mindful of how they um, interact with with customers. So, for example, all financial institutions I worked in uh, on overdrafts. Uh, you have to be very careful about uh, causing people to go into debt. And so you have to be mindful of things like you know if you're dealing with vulnerable people, um people who are struggling with A mental health problem uh, for example um, maybe they're struggling with addiction and you have to be very careful about gambling debts and if you're offering credit to to people who uh, might not be able because they're in a vulnerable place um, to to handle having access to lots of credit so so in the financial industry there is this duty of care and we had to think a lot about how do you uh how do you handle how do you build things responsibly um you know down to details such as making sure that you balance building a product that's easy to use and you can tap 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 and get an overdraft uh against making it so easy that um it's then too easy for some people to get into debt uh, so so balancing those two things against each other and trying to find the the right place on that continuum. Um, for the product. Now, similarly, mental health has a duty of care. And, um, you know, we're constantly having to think about how do we best serve people, especially people may come to spill when they're in a particularly vulnerable place. Um, so we have to be, you know, extra careful about how we think about the whole experience. Now, the surprising thing is one of the differences actually. Uh, is the fact that um, the financial industry is actually more regulated than the mental health industry? The the FCA, you know, I was talking about this duty of care, and the FCA makes its law. You you have to abide by these rules. You know, you have to be mindful of who you give credit to and who you don't. In the in the mental health space, at least in the UK, um, the space is there's a lot less. Um, uh, regulation enforced in law. Um, so, for example, uh, whilst in America a licensed therapist is a term protected by law, the term counselor and therapist in the UK aren't. Um, the term psychologist is, uh, but the terms counselor and therapist aren't, aren't protected by law. Um, there's various policies in draft, and it may become regulated by law in, in the next. I don't know, PS, but it isn't at the moment. And so a lot of the uh, regulation is uh, created by the licensing bodies, the registration bodies. Um, but they're guidelines. So very much you promise to follow these guidelines, um, but you don't have the same, they don't have the same kinds of powers as the FCAs uh, to, to make them law. Um, and what that means is actually that we have a higher responsibility to um, make sure that we uh, police ourselves and that we abide by these ethical guidelines, um, you know, because there isn't as as much infrastructure to tell us step by step what to do. It relies a lot more on clinical judgment and um, us, you know, kind of thinking about what's the right thing to do by the client. Um, so actually yeah you 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 have a lot more responsibility on your shoulder in the mental health space but um i don't know maybe surprisingly it's because there's less regulation about it
1: that's so interesting. I had absolutely no idea. I would have thought, you know, obviously within the financial sector, and as you say, like needing to protect people who might be vulnerable because there are vulnerabilities in in both spaces. But mm-hmm. it's so crazy that that doesn't exist in in you know when it comes to to mental health and well being. And I guess you know even more credit to those of you like Spill who are actually really thinking about the ethics in in product design as you're building, um, and a much higher responsibility as you say to kind of police yourselves. I guess that. That sort of leads me on to the next question, which is, how do you integrate that responsibility and and the kind of ethics and quality of the therapists into the product um, into Spill?
0: Uh, okay, well, let me try and break that down a bit. So, I guess so. One of the things we do is we we start with you know you asked me at the beginning what the what the vision with Spill is. And, and I think one of the things that sets Spill apart from other mental health startups is that we put clinical judgment at the core of everything that we do. Uh, we, uh, you know, one of the principles, one of the beliefs, I guess, that we, we hold quite dear is that if you purport to actively help someone who is struggling, then you need to... Uh, at least at some point in the process, you need to have had a human being who cares about helping the other person, and technology is there to to enable those clinicians, you know, those people to to help people as effectively as possible and to help as many people as possible. So the role of the technology there is to to expand that care to to lots of people and to maintain that quality bar. Um, but the but the Root of everything, the, the foundation of everything is the clinicians who care about the people that they're trying to help, and and this, I think is you can see this in, um, you know, the fact that our ad- adherence to to the ethical guidelines, for example, it's very much you know we, we, every every uh, therapist who works at Spill is um you know qualified and uh, registered with with an accreditation body and um in doing so they abide by these ethical guidelines and that comes first uh, above any kind of business consideration like client comes first it's very much you know sort of hippocratic oath kind of thing it's like we promise to do the best by the client and um, and that's the therapist's like first concern and how, how best to serve, serve that client and then you know everything else you know we you kind of build the uh the business around that but but that comes second you always start with the client and that and then concerns first and then when you have that clear um commitment i guess fact like that you always start with the client you always start with the the tech world calls it calls this person a user but in therapy world you'd call them a client so um when you have this clear delineation that you always start with the person you're trying to serve then it makes these decisions um a lot simpler you know how do you balance uh what the client wants with what the business is capable of doing and the business constraints and so on um whenever you're having to resolve these uh can kind of find a balance between all of these competing needs. Um, it's it's simple to resolve them because you always ask yourself, "What's the best thing that I can do by this person we're trying to, to serve?" And I, I guess there's there's several sub sets of this problem that are kind of interesting. Um, one of them is the fact that because we work in this in the wellness space, um, there is a, an element, of kind of a contradiction, I guess, where uh, people want to do the right behavior but um they often kind of also at the same time don't want to do it it's very much the i want to go to the gym but i don't want to go to the gym i want to eat my vegetables but i don't want to eat my vegetables and and still has to figure out how to balance how to empathize with both parts of our psyche basically you know the part of us that wants to do the right behavior and the part of us that is is reluctant to give up the time to do it Uh, and um, an example of this would be, uh, for example, uh, you know, proactively looking after your, your mental health. One of the things that uh, we try to get people to do is to not wait until they've broken down and then come to therapy. Because at that point, you're doing a lot more damage control. It's a lot more reactive. You don't have as much scope for changes because a lot of stuff's already gone wrong. So we're trying to get people to act earlier. Obviously, the earlier you urge people to act, the less incentive they have to act because they're not in as much pain. So then they're like, oh, well, it's fine. You know, I'm not going to do it now because I can do it later. You're like, no, no, no. But you don't want to do it later because later will be harder to solve. Um, so we're trying to uh, balance that out. And one of the ways we do it is what I was saying before, you know, trying to do it by design, you know, just like fun find fun, simple ways in which you can uh, insert those good behaviors without also introducing loads of friction. Um, so this is like one of the regular check-ins that we help people do uh, as an example of this, how, how we try to help people do this. So that's one of the examples of how to, you know, balance like what, what people want versus um, what what they don't want. But I don't know, but like both, both desires, I guess, belong to the same person. It's kind of one of these internal contradictions that we all hold. Um, another example, I guess, is around—I don't know—like I guess uh, around how, you asking, you know, how do the clinicians, how do the therapists come into all of this, and how do you, um, how do you in- integrate them into the product? It, It's—I I think the the continuum here is maybe around how do you use technology to leverage the power of of clinicians so that you can help more people more effectively. I, I think that's, that's one of the things that uh, we try to do at Spill and that's kind of how technology comes into this um, because traditionally therapy is a very, you get one minute of therapist in and one minute of client value out, to, you know, it's a kind of one-to-one relationship and being able to turn that from uh minute, one minute equals one minute into one minute equals 10 minutes of value for the user um then if you can manage that that's fantastic so these are one of um this category of problems is one of the things that's been working on um how can you get a therapist to reach more people and more effectively um and once again it's holding the fact that it always starts with the with the clinical care with with the therapist's sitting there thinking about someone and how can I help this person and then you 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 try to use technology in okay how can we effectively reach like lots of people how can we catch them early how can we uh, reduce the time it takes to find a particular way to talk about grief for example or anxiety and make that quicker so that uh, therapists can reach more people more effectively
1: so many like really interesting things to unpack there um I think as a uh, therapist would say so much to unpack (laughs) (laughs) oh I've got the lingo down 20 minutes I'm already (laughs) getting the um no but I think you know how you talk about the the actual designing for people to to engage at the moment when it's not desperate because as we know right like at the point when you're breaking down it's It's very difficult. Whereas actually the maintenance and looking after your mental health in the same way you would look after your physical health is is something is a muscle that we need to train that we're just not used to doing. And I think keeping it fun and simple is is a great way to be thinking around the product design and how you facilitate that. But but actually there's a real change in you know client behavior that you need to be driving here as well, right? Which is Mm -hmm. not only proactively taking control of it before it's desperate, but also that it's using tech and that it's sort of in chat and and in Slack. So how have you thought about how you bridge the the gap or you take clients on that journey to make them more comfortable with this sort of behavior or product that they're probably very unused to?
0: Yeah, you mean how do you build trust with people to get them to actually use the product? Yeah, I mean, that is... uh, uh a great question and i'm sure one that we'll be working on for years and years from from here on out yeah i mean trust how do you build trust i mean they say they say trust is consistency over time and i i really like that way of thinking about trust because i find it quite mm, actionable i guess you kind of think okay well trust is the consistency over time so it means that you you stop thinking about uh the user's interaction with the product as a snapshot in time, you know, a photograph, like this particular interaction. And instead you expand it to a series of interactions. So you kind of add a time dimension and you think, okay, well, rather than just this one interaction, let's think about how this looks over time and and all of the number uh, interactions that. The user will have with the product and we have a couple of like for example our regular feelings check-in um kind of inbuilt in 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 the way we do it is that the user keeps coming back and um has multiple interactions and so you you actually have um a bit of a story there you know you don't just have like this one time okay one interface i've got to convey trust i've got to somehow i don't know pick the right way of Rendering information so people trust the product immediately. you Kind of think about okay, how can I build trust over time? How can I be consistent over time so that people um, slowly, slowly get to get to trust um, that this is you know this is a product that is working for on my behalf? And I think it's the same as we do with people. You know, how do you trust a person? Well, the answer is probably you don't to begin with. And then, and then you you trade in pennies, you, you, you know, you talk about the weather, you disclose some inconsequential piece of information, and then watch to see how they're going to treat that piece of information. Are they going to be respectful of it? Are they going to be interested in it? Are they going to be, um, you know, kind of careful about not disclosing it to the first person that comes along? And then if you see that they're doing that, then that's great. And then you maybe disclose a little bit more, and then maybe the other person reciprocates and so on and so on. And you kind of build this this trust over time um, by uh, just, yeah, have been kind of consistently trustworthy in every single interaction. So you take exactly that and just apply it to a product. How do you build trust with a product? Well, you don't trust it to begin with, and then you start having these micro interactions, and then you see how the product treats that piece of information. And, And if you see, okay, like, Spill seems trustworthy. They're they're um, they're being very clear and transparent about how they're using my data. That I can see um, the you know they're saying we're going to do this with this data, and then they do exactly what they've said, and, um, and and I can see the whole process. And this is consistently happening over time. That so that oh, as time progresses, I can I start to begin to be like okay, okay, I can trust them. I can trust them. And then you can trust them with a little bit more information, a little bit more data, and then. You continue to treat that data with respect and that's how you build trust. Consistency over time.
1: I love that. Trust is consistency over time. That is... So well put, and I think it's a it's a difficult thing, especially in the startup world, right? Because everybody comes out the gates and is like, "We're we want to, you know, we're trustworthy and we're doing this better." But actually, until people experience that from you, from regular engagements, it's it's very hard to to truly feel that as a client or as a user. Um, mm-hmm. So, I guess final question from me is is how do you see this intersection of of mental health specifically in tech? evolving um, in the years to come.
0: Hmm. Yeah, interesting that we go from talking about trust to talking about the sort of tech industry at large because the first thought that comes to mind is that, you know, probably big tech has a bunch of trust to rebuild with people in terms of how it's handling data and so on. Um, so, but, you know, I think it, it's starting to happen. I think people are starting to understand, okay, this is how, this is how technology is. You know, you kind of get to know it a little bit and, um, and sort of expect, have, have better expectations of it, you know, be like, no, actually I, I do want you to treat my data with respect and I don't want to have control over what you do with it and so on. Um, so I'm hoping that this is this is a trend that continues and, and all of us, you know, when we're when we're we ourselves are the users, um, continue to hold the products that we use responsible for how they're they're using our data and demanding that they are trustworthy over time. Um how will technology interact with uh how will technology play out in the health tech space? Um I don't know. I'm trying to think without speculating, um, but I, I think there's a lot of scope for um, one of the. There's a lot of scope for um, trying to reach more people more effectively, uh, and uh, one of the analogies I uh, heard uh, a, a while back. I, I think it's, it's kind of a good way of thinking about it. Is that in an analogy with the with with the language learning space so you know it used to be that if you wanted to learn a new language you had to go and sit in the room with the tutor that's how I learned English when I was growing up was very much seeing my English teacher a week in one week out and that was the only way you learned you know and maybe you picked up a book or you watched some cartoons or something Um, and, and that's how you learn the language and then And then CDs came along, and then they made that way more accessible to way more people. You you go and buy a a CD, and you listen to it, and you you learn the language without necessarily having to have a human teacher in the room. And that suddenly made language learning accessible to millions and millions of people. Um, And it was like an exciting new generation of tools in that space. Um, But then um, a third wave came along, which was the, the, the language learning apps. I'm using Memorize at the moment, for example, to learn Korean. And um, and what the language learning apps, is they, what they did is that they um, tried to take that to the next level. So they t- t- took it from, you know, millions of people buying CDs to learn a language where you still had to be pretty committed to the endeavor to invest in the CDs and then apply yourself to doing them. They, they took that and they broke it down and made it, they gamified it, they made it really fun. And then suddenly they they were able to reach an order of magnitude more people. And, you know, this is the world we're, learning, we're living in today. Um, now, if you kind of think of the parallel, what would be the equivalent of that in health tech? Something something like that. It's like you kind of start with the old school therapist. You know, Freud is sitting there with his clients, like one-to-one in the same room. And that's the only way you can get therapy to um, therapy moves online. And you have, um, you know, a bit like, with the CDs, you, you're suddenly being, being able to reach way more people. It's a lot more convenient, um, and uh, you, you make that available to lots, lots more people. Um, but then the question is, okay, but what's the third generation set of tools looking like? And I think that's the one where you're able to take one minute of a therapist time and transform it into more than one minute of of a person's um value that they can get out of it and and you know this is kind of what technology is known for being good at is is making things more efficient and changing changing by an order of magnitude how much value you can extract from the same amount of input so hopefully that's where we're heading finger crossed.
1: I think that is uh such a great parallel and you know really importantly here as well it's you know, what you guys are doing and, and why the, the tech element and how that helps accelerate, um, you know, support around all things mental health and well-being is that it genuinely can start to democratise access, you know, to, to serve more people and for those who, you know, wouldn't have been able to afford it or, or feel that they were able to have access to it um previously. So I think, you know, we're going to, it's definitely going to be a trend that we see continuing and you know, as long as companies such as Spill are building with design ethics and and sort of product ethics and clients' best needs at the heart, um, then yeah, very excited to see how this industry Fingers
0: crossed! Inter- I mean, that's why I have, you know mission statement is high quality therapy in the pocket of every person on earth. I think I I, I really um, resonate with what you said about democratizing access to to this stuff. In therapy, historically, a very elite um, mm-hmm. the type of product. And uh, it's so, so valuable that um, honestly, very exciting to think of uh, getting it in the hands of millions and millions of people. You know, when my more kind of starry eyed moments, I kind of think um, if you get this into the hands of enough people and enough people access the, the benefit of what therapy gives you, maybe you reach a tipping point where you start seeing the the effects of that like the shift in the in the uh, culture at large
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know we all become a, a kind of more compassionate and joyful species i don't know
1: i mean that's something the world uh could definitely do with maria thank you so so much for joining us it's been really fascinating if you have not checked out spill you can do so at spill.chat thank you maria thank you for having me <laughs>